Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. It's your boy Mac here for another late night edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. Tonight, the Cavaliers took on the Portland Trailblazers on the final game of that West Coast trip. They were without Darius Garland. They didn't have Isaac Okoro. Still don't have Ty Jerome, so their hands were going to be full, especially against a 3-7 and seven Trailblazers team that plays very hard. And heading into this one, I was really hoping to see an increased effort on the defensive end, specifically the perimeter defense after Cleveland allowed Sacramento to shoot over 47.6% from three-point distance. It was just bad, man. It was put me in a bad headspace. Uh, Many of their makes were the result of poor rotating, uh, dropping too far back in coverage when defending the pick roll, and a general inability, honestly, to navigate DHOs and off-ball screens, which we know Sacramento, they are just absolutely fabulous at uh, getting their three-point shooters open using some of those screens there in that fast-paced environment. So kudos to them for that. Um, And tonight, the the Cavs appeared to make that a point of emphasis uh, because they had far fewer lapses when defending the perimeter. Guys were closing out much better. Uh, They weren't overhelping inside nearly as much, though. Honestly, that may have had more to do with the fact that DeAndre Ayton is an entirely different type of matchup than Demonis Sabonis, who can beat you as a passer in addition to rebounding the ball and just honestly bullying you on his way inside. Um, so just two completely different animals there. So I think that kind of changed the, the the philosophy there on the defensive end. Um, they managed to hold the Blazers to an icy 36.2% and an even worse 26.3% from range in the first half. Um, but I will say this, uh, just because I, I, I can't lie. I got to be honest with this. I, I can't just overlook the fact that the Blazers were getting some pretty good looks uh, more often than I'd like. Uh, There were still far too many possessions in which the closeouts were either late or non-existent, and the Blazers just didn't make them pay for it. Um, That last part honestly changed a bit in the second half as Portland started to knock these looks down with more frequency, and it allowed them to make a few runs in the third. Kind of scared me a little bit. They would finish... The second half completing 42.1% of their three-point shot attempts, excuse me, bringing their overall three-point percentage on the night to 34.2%. Now, again, overall, like the defensive effort was much better tonight. There were still lapses, but I have to call a spade a spade here. Um, Cleveland got lucky at certain points, right? Um, The closeouts were not necessarily crisp. They weren't necessarily timely at all times. Sometimes there were three-point shooters left open. And fortunately for our wine and golders, uh, they just didn't necessarily make us pay for it. And it goes without saying this, but, you know, I'll say it anyway. Um, You can get away with this type of thing against uh, Portland, who ranks dead last in three-point percentage, right, as a team at a lowly 30.8%, but not against most other teams. Um, Cleveland has absolutely got to clean this up or we'll bite them in the ass uh, more often than not. That's just me being honest. I do not want to see this team perennially ignore three-point shooters. Close out, rotate, do what you got to do. Make sure that these shooters are not making you pay, especially when you're already playing at a disadvantage defensively uh, without Isaac Okoro out there. Um, But again, uh, it worked tonight. Cleveland was able to 
come with a a, a W, right? They also limited Portland on the glass as they out-rebounded them 47-30 overall and only allowed eight on the offensive glass, effectively limiting extra possessions and second-chance opportunities for Portland, which was good, right? Uh, Something that they have been working on as of late as a team. Um, Offensively speaking, the three ball was not dropping at a high rate tonight as the Cavaliers managed to shoot just 30% from distance with several Cavs struggling to knock it down. But they were able to make up for it by shooting pretty well inside, bringing their overall field goal percentage on the night to 56%. Uh, And honestly, this is just the second game of the season Uh, You know, this very young season, might I add, in which Cleveland has held an opponent below 100 points. That said, a win is a win, and it's hard to nitpick too much, right? Like, there are definitely things that you can look at in the uh, from the landscape and the overall uh, of this game. There are some takeaways where you're just like, hey, you should still be doing this just a little bit better. It's great that you got the win, but this is an expected win, right? I I can't necessarily get too high or too low at this point in time, like I continuously say, just because we've seen them do this before, right? And this is a team, honestly, that Cleveland should have beat. And guess what? They did. So good on them for doing that. Um, It was definitely a much-needed win. It was great to get back in the win column, get back on track, right? Um, Let's just talk about some of these individual performances, shall we? Uh, Dean Wade, let's start there, uh, because Wade entered the starting lineup in place of Darius Garland, not necessarily in place of him at the point guard. Let me clarify that. But he was the guy who took over in the starting unit for him. And I was very curious to see what this starting unit would look like, to be honest with you. Uh, We know Dean, right? It's hit and miss sometimes offensively. Um, He's definitely a sturdy defender and made his presence felt early with his work against Jeremy Grant. And as a rebounder, although the rebounding total won't necessarily reflect that tonight, um, his ability to provide the little things whenever called upon deserves more respect, in my opinion. Um, He appears to be able to morph into what you need him to uh, defensively. And I got to say, his versatility and being able to defend three through five at at times is nice to have off that Cavalier bench, especially in a spot start, right? When you don't have Isaac Okora out there, Dean Wade is one of your better defenders. Uh, offensively speaking, I've honestly felt as long as he plays confidently, he'll have a positive impact. And to be honest, uh, he's never likely to be asked to do too much. That's just the case. Now, run the floor, spot up in the corners, and knock down your shots. That's that's basically it, honestly. And if you're Wade, you know you'll probably never get more than three to five shot attempts a game. That, that held true tonight, if I'm not mistaken. Dean had just three shot attempts on the night. And to be honest with you, I'm okay with that. And why am I okay with that? I'm okay with that because it's within the flow of the offense, right? He's never going to block the offense down. He's never going to take ill-advised shots, um, which we've seen from time to time from some of these guys. Uh, You know, I'm not going to name names, but we have seen guys attempt to go out there and get their own shot, get things going um, in an effort to try to spark things, right? For themselves. Dean is not necessarily that type of guy. He's just going to go out there, do what you ask him to do, take some of those shot attempts when they're afforded to him, and he's never going to light it up. That's just the game, right? That's just the game that he plays, and that is his job right now. Um, again, probably just going to see around three to five shot attempts anytime he's out there. And as long as you can make the most of those, you'll have done your job, in my opinion. 
he did finish the game scoreless. So let me go ahead and just throw that out there. Uh, but, you know, if you've provided good defense and solid rebounding, I can live with that provided the offense comes from elsewhere, right? It's different if everybody is just sucking ass on that end of the floor, which was not the case, right? Guys are able to pick up the slack offensively. And Dean was able to do his job, which is, uh, you know, play some good-ass defense and, and grab some timely rebounds. And that's all that I can ask out of him at certain times. Um, you know, it's not perfect. Right. And I was I was a little interested in the way that he was going to be used tonight. Right. And it was a little weird uh, at first just because it seemed like he played in spurts. I know, you know, he played the first five minutes of the game. He got pulled in favor of Karis Vert, And then he came back out, you know, five minutes later at the two minute mark in the first quarter. And that's just kind of how the night went for Dean. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he played around twenty nine minutes tonight. Uh, no, 32, 32. Uh, but, you know, Dean, I, I, I'm i not unimpressed, right? Um, it, it was from an offensive standpoint to go scoreless. Not necessarily what you want to see or hear, but, you know, he did not uh, – he didn't necessarily harm the offense, which is good within its own right. Just make sure you're not getting in, in everybody else's way. And generally speaking, Dean didn't, right? Honestly – I can't go any further without acknowledging the stellar play from Donovan Spider Mitchell. That dude, man, uh, that dude notched his fifth game of the season in which he's totaled 30 or more points. He had 34 total tonight on 13 of 20 from the field, including a very efficient five of eight from three point distance to go along with six boards and four assists, right? Without DG out there. Uh, I honestly. I don't know what else I can say about Donovan Mitchell that hasn't already been said or that I haven't already said, right? Uh, dude's a talent. He's just a he's a talent. He's a top 15 player in this league right now. Some you have an argument that he's been a top 10 player this season. That's fair, in my opinion. He's a three-level scorer, uh, capable of knocking down shots from all over. And he can truly carry this team most nights if you need him to, while he likes a Garland, a Coro, you know, throw Ty Jerome in there. Well, these guys are all out, missing time. So, Donovan, you can rely on them, and we've seen the Cavs do that uh, numerous times already this season. You don't want to do it too much. You don't want to make it a habit, especially when these guys do get healthy. But it's good to know that Donovan is fully capable of taking things to the next level and taking over a game if you really need him to, right? Um, for me, it's not just the play on the offensive side of the ball. There's the fact that Donovan seems to, as, since he got to Cleveland, honestly, this started last season, but it's been even more apparent, at least in my opinion, this year. Donovan seems to have picked it up on the defensive end. There's like a new level that that has been unlocked on that end of the floor for him. And he, whether it's him just focusing in a little bit more and being more attentive to it, because we know, you know, let's not let's not be dishonest with ourselves here. A lot of times, offensive players or guys who are more associated with that offensive end um sometimes they can take plays off right because they're having to expend so much energy carrying the offensive load um that was true honestly of donovan in his earlier seasons to be honest with you he does not appear to be doing that uh in during his cleveland tenure and especially to begin this season so i'm i'm very 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 happy with what we've gotten from him he's looking like an early mvp candidate uh, he's up there. I think he was like number six or number seven on the most recent MVP ladder, but that could have changed since the last time I looked at it. 
Um, he's currently, after tonight's game, I think 10th in the league in scoring with 29.2 points per game and is already on pace to set a new career high in that department after doing so just last season uh, for Cleveland, having the um, having the most points per game in wine and gold since LeBron, right? Um, just big-time stuff and a reason why you should never truly count this team out, even if things are going awry, right? Um, so Donovan definitely had a really, really good night, but he wasn't the only one, right? Uh, Evan Mobley got off to a pretty solid start in this one, attacking inside, operating as the role man off of Max Struess-initiated pick-and-roll sets, and running the floor. Um, and I, I got to continue to say this. like I remain impressed with the chemistry that both he and Struess are developing. You see a lot of, uh, a lot of passes. Uh, to the rim, right? He, he's throwing this guy open a lot. He's dropping some dimes off to Mobley, and it's beautiful. Always in the paint, right? One complaint, honestly, I do have, um, and this is in a night where we won, right? But I'm still allowed to, uh, you know, announce my complaints, right? Uh, one complaint that I do have is the lack of involvement in the offense at times um, outside of the painted area, right, or putbacks or something like that, or when he's running the floor, uh, most of his touches usually featured some sort of DHO, right? Um, not necessarily something that is a recipe for disaster or anything like that, because let's be honest, Sabonis killed us that way just last game. Uh, most of Sabonis' assists, I'm not sure if you guys are aware of this, but go back and check the film. Uh, most of Sabonis' assists came off of DHOs. Uh, it's definitely something that it works. You can see that Evan Mobley has that within his game. Um, but honestly, I'd like to see JB run the offense through him a little more. Um, hopefully that comes in time. Um, just 11 field goal attempts tonight on a night where Darius Garland wasn't out there. Um, and the the floor was spread a little bit more in terms of shot attempts. Uh, but he still ended up stuffing the stat sheet with 21 points, uh, 12 rebounds, three assists, one steal, three blocks. Uh, and again, an ultra-efficient 8 of 11 from the field, uh, in addition to drawing numerous foul calls, right? I mean, he's got to start knocking these uh, free throws down a little bit more uh, efficiently, right? I think it was 5 of 8 on the night, which, again, you know, not terrible for a big, but not necessarily great either. Need to see him up that free throw percentage. Um, he had double figures in the first alone, so he, he made it a point to kind of, you know, get involved early on. But as the game went on, it seemed to kind of go away from him a little bit. Um, and I was really impressed with his defense of DeAndre Ayton at certain points, <laughs> whom the Cavs collectively held to just six points and six rebounds on just three of ten from the field. Boy, Ayton is not having a great start to this season. He's really not had... It's not been great since that trade, uh, so I kind of feel a little bad for him. But, uh, yeah, Mobley on the night, man, yet another double-double. The guy is a walking double-double, and I continue to say this, folks, but you know, even if you're not sold on his development, if you don't feel like Mobley has progressed at all since last season, he's clearly still a walking double-double. He can literally... Uh, you know, stumble his way to double doubles without a true three point shot to speak of or a solidified mid range jumper. Uh, Mobley is still able to walk his way to a double double, which is pretty damn impressive. Uh, in in my opinion, kid's still just 22 years old, there's still a ton of time for him to develop some of these things that people are asking of him. Uh, but 
you know, to be able to go out there and, and drop a 21 and 12 double double, still pretty impressive. Yes, it's the Trailblazers, but again, uh, it's all relative, right? Um, you know, Mitchell and Mobley weren't the only guys out there performing pretty well. Um, you know, we got to talk about Max Struess, who, you know, I talked about this on the chase down with, with Carter Rodriguez the other day. Um, dude is just continuously filling up the stat sheet. Uh, 14 points, three rebounds, led the team in assists tonight. Seven assists from Max Struess. Not necessarily something coming from Miami that I thought that Struess had in his bag, right? This man, he's basically putting up career highs in all categories, right? Uh, 14, well, not all categories. The the um, field goal percentage, that is lagging behind a little bit, but I feel like that's going to go up. 14.3 points per game, 5.7 boards, and 3.7 assists. Wonderful production from one Max Struess. And, I mean, let's just... Let's be honest with ourselves here, man. Um, especially, I'm going to call myself to the table on this one. Uh, I just honestly believe that Max Drews would end up being a solid movement shooter, right? I didn't necessarily see the rebounding. I didn't necessarily see the playmaking that he's been able to go out there and display. Um, you know, no doubt that has helped playing within that the confines of that Miami Heat offense where he got to play with you know, one of the better passing bigs in the league in Bam Adebayo and developing a bond with him. Um, you've seen that kind of play out with both the bigs here and Evan and Jared Allen. Uh, but just some of the passes that Struess has been able to dole out, man, they're uh, they're nice. They're nice. He's, he's really looking like a secondary, maybe tertiary playmaker out there. And especially on a night where you don't have Darius Garland, um, using Struess as like a connective tissue – it's just it's a good tool to have in your shed, right? Again, he led the Cavs in assists tonight. Um, he also led them in turnovers too. But uh, you know, I I I cannot, I can't really speak down on him right now. He's a plus twenty five on the night. Uh, you know, second I believe to just Evan Mobley, despite having those five turnovers. And the one thing, right? The one gripe that if you have one gripe with his performance from tonight, it's probably the three-point percentage, right? You went one of seven, yet another stinker from three-point distance, right? One of seven from three-point range, which, you know, for you math folks out there, that's just 14.3%. Not great, but he was still just, he was still 5 of 12 overall on the night. So he got it done uh, when he needed to get it done. And Struess, if I am not mistaken, Struess is actually leading the Cavs in minutes right now, and that was the case last night, 36 minutes last night. Uh, you know, and when you, when you factor in the second tier, the NBA.com has it tracked that 36 minutes, 42 seconds. That was the leader last night, um, you know, right on top of Donovan Mitchell's 3620. Um, so, Struess, man, a worthwhile addition, especially when you look at some of the contracts that have been handed out just this past offseason. Struess is going to end up looking like a bargain if he continues to play this way. No if, ands, or buts about it. So if you had a qualm before this trade, you know, sending out Jetty Osmond and Lamar Stevens, I hope that Struess has been able to kind of alleviate some of your concerns. Um, he's not been perfect, right? The three ball is not dropping necessarily as uh, as much as you probably would have hoped for, at least in terms of 
efficiency, but the guy is certainly getting the job done in other areas. He's moving the ball constantly. He's still cutting like uh, like a madman out there, always in movement, uh, you know, and just freeing other guys up. Um, 34.9% from three-point distance on this season, which is just 0.1 percentage points from last year. And we got to also consider he's taking more threes than ever, 7.8 attempts per game. That's a career high so far. He's also making – he's tied for his career high in three-point makes at 2.7. So overall, I've been very, very pleased with what we've gotten from Max Strews. Uh, but again, this is this was on a night where many, many folks were contributing in the absence of Darius Garland. Um, next up, we have to talk about we gotta talk about this, man, bro. We we just have to talk about the fact that Karis Levert, um, the, the progression is real, man. We gotta have a real discussion about it. Uh, through 10 appearances. Uh, Levert is you know up over, if I'm not mistaken, around 20 points per game oh, and I think 19 points per game that's a little bit more accurate uh let me get those stats for you 18.8 points per game on this season 4.7 rebounds 4.1 assists the efficiency is not necessarily where you want it to be at he's shooting just 32.8 percent from three-point distance and 43.2 percent from the field and he is taking 15 and a half field goal attempts right that is the most that he has had in any season since he was with Indiana prior to the Cleveland acquisition, um, you know, on 39 appearances for Indiana that season, he was taking 15.9 attempts. He's, he's up to that point again. And part of that is by design, right? With Darius Garland missing so much action with uh, Isaac Okoro no longer uh, available at the moment. So some of it is by design, right? But it's not necessarily, um, a bad thing, right? You want him to be able to be another shot creator out there. You, it cannot be just Donovan Mitchell, right? So I've been pretty impressed with him. Honestly, the dude, man, he looks like a serious candidate for sixth man of the year already. And it's largely due to the play, not only on the offensive end, but on the defensive end as well, just like Donovan Mitchell, but probably even more uh, exemplified here for him. Um, he's taking the defensive challenge this year and it's, he's constantly on the move. Um, he truly looks like a two way force to begin the season. And I love it, man. I, I love it for this guy, especially coming off a season at which many people are shitting on him, man. A lot of people didn't believe in him and, and constantly talked about his struggles with, with being consistent, right? Which is valid. Uh, he began the season very, very inconsistently. He could knock, uh, uh, a layup down to save his life. He, his mid-range game failed him, uh, but he put up a career high in terms of three-point shooting. Um, and then he closed out the year very, very well. And he appears to have carried over that strong play um, to close the 2022-23 season out to the start of the 2023-24 campaign, which is wonderful, right? He's honestly, you know, maybe you guys are going to kill me for saying this, but he honestly looks like Cleveland's second best player to begin this year. And I think that's fair. Is that saying that he's their second best player overall? No, but he looks like their second best player to Donovan Mitchell this year because he's been just a bright spot in a season already chock full of uncertainties and inconsistencies, right, from some of these other guys. Um, for me, though, man, like, Levert, him playing this way, 
especially coming off the bench where, you know, let's talk about the fact that JB on the night where you didn't have Darius elected to keep Karis off the bench. I think that was a great decision, right? Because you need that production from him coming from a bench that really hasn't necessarily figured things out yet outside of him. Um, George Niang, who, you know, played 21 minutes tonight, he was three of six from the field and two of four from three point range, which is no doubt going to help the percentages a little bit, but Niang is still sub 30% from beyond the arc. He's got to get those percentages up. Um, and then you have, you know, you have a ton of people clamoring to see other options there, right? Whether you're talking about distributing his minutes between uh, Dean Wade, uh, handing more of them to Karras, giving Amani Bates some run. Uh, you know, there's a couple of different people that uh, you could, that come to mind in regards to minutes distribution, especially once this Cavs team returns to full strength. And when you have like Isaac Okora out there and Ty Jerome available to you. Um, for Niang, right, I continue to be of the belief that if he's knocking down the shots, if he's spacing the floor, you continue to give him the minutes. Um, 21 minutes is right around his career average, right? But if he's not knocking these shots down, you have to you have to have a real conversation, right? You have to seriously entertain what your options are because Niang, for all the spacing that he does provide, is completely fair to question if that that really, uh, you know, outweighs the liabilities from a defensive standpoint, right? Um, Niang is by no means a great defender. He's held his own a little bit more than I thought he would come to the season in regards to individual matchups, especially against some of the slower, slower-footed bigs out there. Um, you know, again, Julius Randle comes to mind. But he's still very slow-footed, right? The rotation is not always great with him, Um Defenses or oh, offenses will target him on the defensive end. They will go at him if they feel like they have a mismatch, which, frankly speaking, a lot of times they do, right, from an athleticism standpoint. But if Niang is making the shots and he's able to make up for it from an offensive standpoint and a spacing standpoint, you continue to give him those minutes because, one, he is a four. He is one of your only options off the bench that is somewhat proven, right? He has he is literally coming off of five straight seasons in which he's knocked down over 40% or better from three-point distance. So there's that. History says that he's a good three-point shooter. I continue to believe that he is, right? Um, and you have to kind of give him time to figure it out. The shot is coming around, in my opinion. Uh, as long as he's not jacking up shots out there, which you only took four threes, right? Um, you can live with him trying to figure it out. You just don't want him hijacking possessions. And I have seen some of that. I'm going to call a spade a spade. I have seen him hijack a possession or two. I even saw it last night uh, when he probably should have moved the ball a little bit better to get a better look. But instead, as soon as he received the ball, he drove inside, which you guys know, I hate that shit. <laughs> uh, because nine times out of ten, it's going to get blocks or it's going to be a miss at the rim. Don't love it for Niang. Just spot up, uh, you know, take your shots when they're available to you, shoot confidently, um, and hopefully you begin to knock them down. But if he doesn't, right, and it becomes too consistent, you have to pull him or you have to consider taking a good chunk of his minutes away and distributing them elsewhere, especially when you return to full strength. Because honestly, if the play is uh, becomes a detriment to the team, right, at full strength, Niang might find himself on the outside looking in 
right? You, when when Isaac's back out there and Dean is coming off the bench, you might just give all those minutes to Dean. I mean, he plays the four, he can knock down the three ball, and he's a better defender. So it makes sense. Uh, but again, we have to see how this plays out. You got to give him a little bit more time. Team does have to get back to full strength, uh, which hopefully they're able to do that in the coming days, uh, at least with Darius Garland. I honestly have no idea with with Isaac Core. I have no idea how long that's going to take. It's left knee, right? Same issue, I believe. Uh, not a bone bruise necessarily, just the soreness, but it's still the same knee. And I know they're taking a cautious approach with them, much like they did with Jared Allen to begin the season. Um, and what they seem to be doing with Darius Garland right now. But um, you're going to need him. <laughs> so hopefully he comes back. Uh, you know, when you're looking up and down this roster, though, especially in regards to last night's game, uh, one of the guys who kind of sticks out to me, uh, even though he only played around nine minutes or so, is Craig Porter Jr., right? We got some CPJ minutes without Darius Garland out there. And, um, Craig, and you know, for what it's worth, he's still a work in progress from an offensive standpoint. But on the defensive end, man, that kid is already an NBA caliber guard defender. I've seen enough uh, to, to say that. And we, we knew that's what he brings to the table, right? He's heady, uh, tough-nosed defender out there, uh, you know, kind of of the Matthew Delavadova, uh, you know, mold. But Craig, and better athlete, much better athlete than Delavadova. And the one thing that we haven't quite seen from him is a three-point shot. Didn't take any last night, only took three field goal attempts and – if I'm not mistaken, both of those uh, came inside. Uh, one was in transition after a steal on fast break, right? Wonderful play from him. I I wish that we were able to find a way to carve him out some minutes on a nightly basis as, as probably one of the Cavs' better guard defenders out there, um, you know, especially being as undersized as we are. And Craig, obviously, he is undersized at just 6'2", if I'm not mistaken. But he doesn't play like it, right? He plays like he's about six, 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 seven out there uh, with them hops and the defense out there and the athleticism. So I remain really, really impressed with what I've seen from the rookie. Um, just can't say enough good things about the the state of the future for this uh, these Cavs prospects. Right? That's without mentioning Amani Bates, who technically played tonight, got one minute, uh, one and a half minutes. Right uh, at the end of the game, Sam Merrill got an appearance. Tristan Thompson was out there, uh, but overall, just a a wonderful, wonderful performance from start to finish from this team. But as I said at the opening, right, this is a game you're supposed to win. So I can't get too high. I can't get necessarily too low on this squad as a whole right now, especially missing some pieces out there. And this just kind of brings to mind right now the a pattern that is a little troubling, right? Um, so since November 1st, the Cleveland Cavaliers have had a troubling trend going on, right? They have won a game and then immediately proceeded to drop the next. Seriously. It's been win-loss, 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 win through the first seven games of the month. Recent history, I don't want to go off of it, but recent history suggests that they'll drop their next game, which will come against the Detroit Pistons on Friday night. 
a team that is up and coming themselves. It should. It is not going to be an easy out. They're not just going to lay down and die. <laughs> uh, now, obviously, I don't want that to happen again. I don't think it will. As you guys know, I'm an eternal optimist. But I got to call a spade a spade. It's always a possibility based off of how this season has began. Um, there have been some inconsistencies, which often leads me to a headspace of not getting too high or too low just yet, right? You obviously, you look at these games on the schedule, you see Cleveland, you know, they're going to be taking on, if I'm not mistaken, they got some really, really tough matchups coming up outside of this Portland game. Uh, oh, you know, obviously you have Detroit, who you'll see on Friday night. Then immediately things get a little bit tougher. You have Denver, uh, you have Philadelphia, you have Miami, you have Los Angeles. Schedule, you know, you got you got a little two-game break in regards to your opponents here. You know, off of that brutal West Coast trip where you had to face Golden State, where you had to face Sacramento, you know, teams like that. And then you play Portland, and then you get a shot at Detroit, which, you know, Detroit's at 2 and 10 right now after last night. Um, you know, and Portland is now dropped down to 3 and 8. And that's fine and dandy because these are teams that you should beat. But then you're looking at Denver, who is sitting at 9 and 2. You're looking at Philly, who's at 8 and 3. <sighs> the trend could continue, right? You just don't want it to happen, but it's always a possibility that we have to acknowledge. Hopefully, we get some of our guys back. We're definitely going to need them in those matchups, especially you're definitely going to need, uh, you know, one of Darius Garland or Isaac Coral back against Denver and Philly. You just need them, man. They, they, they're they're two talented teams. I mean, they they Denver, they won the fucking title just last season, right? They're still really, really fucking good and dying too. So you need your your best guys out there. Um, and Darius Garland and Isaac Coral certainly, uh, you know, count as such. That said, uh, pretty good, pretty good win, right? Overall in the night, not too many things that I'm going to nitpick on because, again, a win is a win, and it's great to get back on track, get back into the win column. Uh, but some pretty tough matchups coming up. That said, I'm tired. <laughs> uh, if you want to reach out to me, you know how you can. It's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you want to join the It's Cavalier Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send a screenshot, a set review to itscavalier53 at gmail.com, and I will send you an invite. Till next time, go Cavs. <laughs>